This is ChaosCast, the Chaos Community Podcast, where we share use cases and experiences with measuring open source community health, elevating conversations about metrics, analytics, and software from the Community Health Analytics Open Source Software, or short Chaos Project, to wherever you like to listen. Welcome to this episode. This podcast is sponsored by our friends at Sustain, a community of open source enthusiasts and professionals that care about the future of open source. Learn more at sustainoss.org. On the panel today is Nicole Huseman. Hello, everyone. So great to be here with you. I am an active contributor to the Chaos Project. In my day job, I work at Intel on Microsoft Azure marketing. And myself, Georg Link. Hi, everyone. Georg here. Good to be back. Along with Nicole, co-lead of the Chaos Project, involved in various aspects here. And my day job, I'm the director of sales at Biturgia. And on the side, I teach at Brandeis in the Open Source Technology Management Program. The course is related to communities. And I'm also the lead for the IEEE SA Open Community Advisory Group. And today, I'm excited to introduce Terence Chen from GitSense. Hi, Terence. Hi. Thanks for having me on. And I'm the creator behind GitSense. GitSense is something I've been thinking about for a good decade and something I've been working on for over five years to refine. My background is in developer tools, uh, which is how I got started with GitSense. And I'm glad that now I have a platform to share my thoughts on metrics and how I can help chaos and how we can help the community in general. Could you maybe share a little bit of this background that you have and what led to the creation of GitSense? So I would say that I've been thinking about developers my whole life in the sense that I'm an enterprise tools developer by training. So my job was to pretty much create tools in-house that would make developers more productive. And what I've learned from that was uh, when I was working as a tools developer, I found that we lacked a lot of insights into what's happening on a day-to-day basis. So, And that's honestly what spurred GitSense. Pretty much everything happens around code, as we know. And by understanding how we work with our code and how we save and how we collaborate, I was positive that we can create great things with it. And that's how it came about. It's pretty much me continuing what I've done before in the past, which was think about developers and just move it to a product itself. So Terrence, can you talk a little bit about what motivates you, gets you up in the morning, and how you think about metrics? I don't think about metrics so much that I wake up thinking about it, but I guess it's part of the trade of having to work with metrics. But honestly, that's pretty much like, I think we can do a much better job with metrics. And it's kind of saddening, honestly, from my opinion, to see how it's not being utilized to its full extent to help us honestly build software better, which is getting more and more complex. And there's a famous saying that software is eating the world. And it it becomes more true every single day. And we honestly, I don't think we're churning out enough developers fast enough to meet the demand. And one of the things people are honestly looking for is just try to maximize what we have today. And I feel that's where metrics can be used in a very positive manner to just help shed a light on something that maybe can be improved. And another aspect of it is to praise 
people that are doing well that would otherwise, because developers for the most part, they like to keep their heads down. They like to code and they like to be left alone. And they're not the best advertisers of themselves, which is why I'm very much focused on what I call developer first metrics. Honestly, it's based on three principles and I would love chaos and others to adopt it, but developer first metrics is pretty much, can I answer quickly how and why? So if, if you're going to use metrics, make sure you can explain how and why. The second aspect of developer first metrics is make sure it's useful. Like, can a developer use developer metrics on a day-to-day basis? Because like, it's one thing to use it as an organization. It's another thing to use it to judge developers. And it's another thing to have a tool that actually, this is what I can use on a day-to-day basis as a developer. That's the second principle. And the third principle, honestly, is transparency. Like, how easily can I verify that these numbers are correct? Because that's honestly what I think is one of the biggest factors for why metrics is, quote-unquote, a taboo. If you talk to developers about metrics, it automatically invokes what people are calling a false dichotomy, which is there's only two possibilities when you mention software metrics. It's useless or it's impossible to measure because software development is such an art form, which it is. It's a very creative process that, if not put into proper context, can be very misleading. And if you can address all what I call these three principles of developer-first metrics, I think we have a winning formula to create great things that everybody can buy into. Because as we all know, software metrics isn't new. We've been trying to get this right for close to 50 years. And nobody has done it because, honestly, nobody has ever asked, what do developers think? I think they know what developers think, and they just want to plow through with it in hopes that they accept it. But when it's all over, all it takes is one talented developer to leave. For you to question, was it worth it? Was that one incremental game worth it? And guess what? It's not, which is why nobody owns this space. I really enjoyed hearing about how you've put structure around the developer first metric. So that was great. And why you're so passionate about what you do at GetSense. So thank you. No, like that's it. Yeah, like I, I would love for others to uh, adopt these three principles. It's definitely not mine to own. It's really just a philosophy that it's. It's like saying if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it all. So the question is, if you can increase metrics, can they adhere to these three principles? Yeah, the how, why is it useful, and transparency. All that plays into what I say: producing positive metrics. I think that gives an interesting lens to look at what we've been doing here at Chaos. And thinking back, you know, in 2017, when we started the Chaos project, the reason we started was there was a big demand for metrics and understanding community health. And that interest came from two sides. One was businesses wanting to understand how are our communities doing, what is our impact, where can we help these communities. But then also we saw open source communities, especially the larger ones where you cannot be everywhere and have a sense of what's going on everywhere. How can we recognize the contributors? How can we highlight the good work that is being done? So that is this approved praise that you had mentioned before that is built in with this community-driven adoption of metrics. And the framework for developer-first metrics, I think, comes from this arm of the conversation where communities themselves want to have metrics that are 
useful to them, that provide transparency into their communities. The part, if we were to talk about the three, the how and why, maybe we can dive into that because I don't really have a good sense of what that covers quite yet. The way I explain to people is I'm ultimately want to try to bring business intelligence into the software development lifecycle. Business intelligence is very much about here's the number and how we got to this number. That's what I mean by how and why. Can we take a number and quickly answer how did this number come about? What people always gravitate towards is uh, very easy metrics to capture, which is like commits, lines of codes, and all that. By itself, and developers are right, it is useless. It's honestly, it's also very misleading. But if you can attach a how and a why to it, now it's meaningful. Knowing somebody did 22 commits when the how was, it should have been done in one. It's, sorry, it's, it's very meaningful now. Or knowing why 22 commits was, was created. So that's what I mean by how and why. It, it's sort of, the metrics is just a starting point for you to understand, to trace backwards now to say, how did this number come about and why did this number come about? And if you can't provide a system that does make it easy for developers and even leaders to answer those questions, you're also just going to breed. Well, you can create more questions and, and then misinterpretations. And there's a lot of stuff that, as well as the context matters when it's all over. And tooling that you create need to provide that functionality. And that's where the challenge obviously is. It's technically challenging. It's very easy to create a system that can capture a number and save a number and not save all the other nitty-gritty details to get to that number because I think some people don't do it, honestly, because it may show that the number is not right. It, it makes it very easy for other people to scrutinize your data now. And so that's why I meant by the transparency. If, if you sort of have a built-in philosophy of transparency, that won't bother you because you know that answering how and why is part of the transparency format. So they're all interweaved. And all this and like usefulness is really just a result of metrics of context, understanding how and why. This context matters is so important. And we hear this time and time again. I think what you're saying in my head took it one step further. So far, when I hear context matters, what I've always been thinking is we want to be able to tell the story of open source communities with metrics, but we can only tell those stories effectively if we have the context of the communities, if we can tell a story around the metrics. And what you're saying is we need to not only provide this context, but actually in the tools that provide the metrics, allow whoever is looking at the tool to drill in and see where did this metric come from? What was the underlying activity in the community? You're actually 100% right because Numbers of the context is very misleading or can be very misleading, especially software development, because there's no true north. Like, like I said, like going back to my, I'm not sure if this I was off recording, but when we track sales and all the other stuff, it's, it's very tangible. We know what it means. If we know what a speaking ticket means. All these things can be easily conceptualized. But when it comes to software development, a single line change can be more complex than a thousand. And also... And going back to the chaos and going back to maybe a community health type related question is just knowing that we had 50 contributors is self-interesting, but it doesn't tell the full story without at least, were these people just like one-time contributors or are these long-time contributors? Were these, all these variables play into, so when you look at a number like 58 contributors to add the extra value that is needed to help you understand 
that this is a healthy project, you need to be able to drill down now and say, okay, so these are the 58 participants. How did they participate in this project itself? Because it could well be the last commit was like 10 years ago, which is great. But uh, moving forward, should a bug happen, you probably want to contact the person that is most familiar with the source code. So all these things tie in, and that's what I meant by context matters so much. And I don't think we can sum up something that's so complex as software development with just a number, which is why I'm going back to the whole business intelligence. Because in the business world, nobody expects an ordinary person to make sense of business insights data. That's why we hire business intelligence specialists. And it's kind of weird in the software industry that there's a lot of companies out there now that are selling these metrics and solutions and saying that we can quantify your developer's productivity. When the reality is, I don't think the people who are interpreting are qualified to do. And honestly, I'm, I'm hoping we sort of create another niche job, which is developer productivity analysts. We need somebody that understands the code base, being the language, understands the maturity of the code base, understands the complexity and sense of how many people are involved. All of these play into whether or not a person is productive or if a person is struggling and all this stuff. So we're trying to prescribe metrics that's used in a very easy way that I can interpret into something that's very complex like software. And that's what's hard to explain to people that we can't do this. And that's what I'm hoping to try to do with GetSense. It really reminds me of a conversation I was having early on with Matt German Prey at Chaos Project about quantitative and qualitative metrics or the understanding of the numbers, right? At one point in my open source work, I was asked, you know, figure out who the significant contributors are of a particular project. And it isn't always the folks who have the highest number of commits, but what about that contributor who makes a significant contribution? So it's, you know, maybe not the volume always, but the quality of the individual's contributions. And it may not even be to even get outside the code conversation. It may not even be a pull request, a bug file, a commit. It could be, you know, we often talk about the health of communities and communities being comprised of so many different skill sets and contributions coming in so many different forms. And so how do you measure the quality of contributions even outside of code? There's a very large hidden aspect of software development that is not visible via the numbers, as you pointed out, which is honestly, that person who is able to provide that one spark idea, honestly, should be somehow rewarded as well. And that's overall the problem itself, which is there's so many things involved with the software development process that is currently not being captured. And ultimately, that's what I hope to get sense is connect all the dots because there's, it's, it's not just from a health organization. I would have to admit that it probably is, is a lot more complex when dealing with the open source world because there's a, a lack of structure. In enterprise, you can sort of beat down a structure. And so they, if you go to a meeting, make sure you log this or you go here to make sure you do this. So there's enough paper trails for us to stitch together things quite reasonably well to gain insights into a health of something. But with regards to an open source, yeah, it's definitely a very challenging problem because in a lot of ways, you're reliant on volunteers 
that may feel burdened by self just providing that code itself and that it won't maybe provide additional information to help you connect things, or they may not feel that what their contribution was properly recognized, just because if you're going by metrics, like it commits, they might feel disheartened or not want to participate any further. So from an open source perspective and metrics, this is why I believe transparency is so important. I don't think there's such thing as a small contribution when it comes to especially open source, because you definitely want that person who maybe fixes that link error that would have prevented somebody from using a tool or prevented you from finding the right information. All these little things, even a spelling mistake can probably cause confusion to somebody who's just, well, maybe wants to pick up whether or not to use this library and this, they can't make sense of what this documentation is saying. All these little things is small, but they're not immeasurable and they should not be ignored. So that, but that's what my transparency just makes it very easy for everybody to drill down. You might have a top 10 list, but it should be very easy for you to see all the other contributors as well. And I think that's the best we can do given the current state of our technology. And when I say state, I mean, everybody's always looking for machine learning, AI and all that stuff, which I think it's still five, 10 years away personally. So the best thing we can do right now is encourage transparency and just encourage people to, I wouldn't say brag, but just maybe if they feel that their effort is not being properly reflected, just honestly voice it because we should be able to adjust metrics. And like metrics is something that shouldn't be written in stone. Metrics is something that we should rebuild and need to rebuild constantly to properly reflect our new understanding of how things are. And, and ultimately, that sort of introduces a technical challenge, obviously, because once you need to start rebuilding things, you need a great way to capture things. And that's the reason why I say answering how and why is very important, because to do that properly, you need an infrastructure in place that can allow you to capture a lot of information and let you retrieve information and let you re rebuild information. So everything sort of plays into that. So what do you think, looking at the ecosystem of tools for metrics, I understand that GitSense is really strong with going down to the original activity that is bubbling up into metrics. And so unlike other tools that just store the number and then you can't drill down any further. What other things have you built in GitSense that you're super proud of that we can learn from and hopefully get to see in other tools being adopted as well? I honestly just think adhering to the three principles. We can't underestimate the ability to drill down because when it's all over, you need buy-in from people. And storage, and honestly, like, it's something I'm hoping to be able to open source in the future. So just the schema itself is what GitSense really does is it stores everything in a relational database. And I, I picked that for a reason because when it's all over, I don't know what question I'm going to ask. And that's a great thing about relational database. And it lets you slice and dice information to help you surface insights. And that's one of the things which I, I think people really need to understand is you need a solid foundation. And, and, and that, that's ultimately what I'm, I'm hoping that people understand is Especially if we're right now, I'm sort of going through the funding journey. And it's very interesting talking to all these people involved. And what's really interesting is that people that are selling AI machine learning, they're raising tens and twenties of millions of dollars. And but if this is probably not going to be obvious to people, but in the data science world, there's a pyramid which became famous. They call it the hierarchy of data needs. It's pretty much a pyramid that has different layers that says what is required for artificial intelligence and for machine learning. 
And at the very bottom of the layer is collect data. But the thing is, everybody's selling the very top part of the pyramid, which is machine learning AI. They haven't even figured out how to get down to the collect data part yet. And so the lesson I would hope people learn is we can't take shortcuts for this because what's happening now is people are realizing now that machine learning requires data. And if you don't have the data, you're not going to get it very far. You will raise a lot of money in a very short period of time, but it's obviously not going to help you solve the problem that you are ultimately trying to sell in that sense. So that is, I think, where we're in chaos also connecting with is figuring out what is the data that we need to collect and look at for understanding software teams or open source communities. So I think there is a a connection here and just having that common understanding and building out that foundation is important. It's great to hear that it's also important from a tooling perspective, but because I usually think of it from a user perspective as a community manager, for example, I need to understand what is it I'm actually looking for. And honestly, like, I'll be the first to admit that I don't know what we're looking for. And that should be the most honest answer everybody should answer with, because if you can say you know what you're looking for, you're probably not telling the whole story because we would have solved this by now. This is an ongoing problem. It's a very, I won't call it a serious problem, but it's a very desirable problem for us to solve, especially as software gets more complex. And the next best alternative to having the answer is having as much data as possible to work with such that we can. Because look, when, Get Science is one of the strange things for me is I'm, I'm constantly discovering new ways to use it personally. I'm going to call it treasure trove data, but I do have a lot of data captured that I don't quite know how I'm going to use it. And once in a while, I'll go, oh, great. I can use it for this, or I, I can bisect this and I can get this. And that's ultimately what it is. And by, Do you have an example for that? I would say just history. How would I navigate code history? Is, but since everything is internally stored in a relational database, I can say, it'd be great if I can filter by this variable. Or if I can filter by this to remove this noise. Because one thing about software metrics is the biggest issue is noise, honestly. Like it, it just takes one large commit or one incorrect commit to really throw things off. And the ability to filter things out is probably the, I would say the biggest thing because this is not a criticism of GitHub. And I, but if you ever look at GitHub's insights, uh, so they have this thing that measures your lines of code changes. It's just one huge wavy line. And I, I don't know what that means. And so th that's the whole point is, is like, I want context between those lines and you need to be able to filter it. That's sort of what I mean, I guess, is but I honestly don't know. But I think filtering is the ability to just quickly filter and pivot. And I keep going back to business intelligence because I think it's very relevant. And that's what business intelligence is about. Business intelligence is about you gathering all the data you have that's business related put it into a great system, like a, a bigger business intelligence solution, and use that to constantly pivot and pivot until you find that insights. And I see the same thing for development software metrics and the whole overall about productivity and health and all that. It's We don't know what it is, but we need a system in place that can let us pivot. And the obvious question is, why don't we use Tableau or other things, right? Well, we really can't. The software metrics produces a very unique flow of information. And every time somebody commits, they're creating a new timeline. And what was completely relevant one commit ago may not be. And this is the reason why you need to be able to almost create like a time machine that can jump through history 
and let you slice and dice. So there's a lot of uh, technical challenges ahead to bring what I feel is business intelligence into software development lifecycle. While open source software today is powering critical infrastructure, the open source ecosystem as a whole is rapidly changing, facing challenges for governance, maintenance, maintainer burnout, funding, marketing, and more. Are you concerned about these things for your open source software too? Well, in the sustained community, we discuss these challenges and share solutions for how to sustain open source in the long haul. We meet once per year in person, and the rest of the time we keep the fire burning in our discourse forum. Join our conversations at sustainoss.org and sustainoss on Twitter. Terrence, I have a question here. Are you talking about here the ability to clean and pre-process the data when we talk about AI, machine learning, and that? I think you're right in the sense that this pyramid, this AI pyramid, unfortunately, I can't really share with you. Just imagine a pyramid with like uh, different layers. As you get up to different layers, like honestly, even the bottom layer, connecting code is very easy. But when you start introducing things like meeting notes or you start introducing things like how long you spent in a meeting, that is where I think you can clean, where maybe cleaning is required because you can say that meeting wasn't relevant. The thing is the code that was produced was relevant. So you're never, ever going to scrub that piece of code. But what you may do in the future when you start connecting to external data like meetings, possibly conversations and pull request comments and so forth. Yeah, those things I, I would say you would need to be either clean what you refer to is sort of the abstraction layer, the cleaning layer, and, and which is getting you prepped for the data model. So you are right in a sense that, yes, like when you get to that stage of AI, you will need to do that. But my stance is we're nowhere near AI. So I, I really don't think about it in those terms. I'm just more focused on let's collect data. We've talked about the benefits of capturing data and using that data for good, using it to recognize contributions. We've talked about the importance of context and qualitative versus quantitative data. Can you talk a little bit about how you address not using it nefariously and ensuring that it is used for good and guarding against not using it, you know, in in a way that it shouldn't be? No, the answer is I don't think we can, honestly. This is where sort of the free market takes care of itself, because if it is being used in a way that does not properly reflect what a developer or somebody feels is correct, that developer will probably just walk away. And that's sort of how software metrics sort of solved itself is because, like I said, like we've been trying to get this right for 50 years, but nobody has been able to. And it's honestly, it's because I don't think we ever can create a system that can be used, but can't be used in an, in I would say, incorrect way. And honestly, it, it's not always also about good, right? It's also, we need metrics, honestly, to answer the things we don't want to answer, which is this person not living up to our expectations. Because when it's all over, especially in a business context, my stats has always been recruiting is insanely hard. Losing talent is tragic. And keeping people that are maybe not pulling their weight is occupying a spot for somebody else that can. And we honestly, we need to identify also the negatives, but we want to make sure that it's done in a way that everybody also agrees with it. And that's what going back to the whole developer first metrics. If everybody buys into this, then really if, if the metrics is 
saying that this person may not be contributing up to the standard that the team is, then I think it's fair to say that we're not really abusing the metrics. It's just pointing out that what everybody is sort of feeling is. But I do hope that it's used in a more positive term, especially from a developer's perspective. One of the things I always talk about is developers are very poor at selling themselves, especially when it comes for one-on-ones, promotions, and all that stuff. They honestly think and assume sometimes that their final effort would be properly reflected or at least properly understood. But the reality is it's, it's not that simple, especially in a large organization, which is your manager may, may know that you're a well top contributor, but can your manager sell you? So this is where I think developers really can buy into software metrics, which is they now have a tool in place that their leaders or their leader can sell to other leaders to say, hey, when it comes time for the divvying up the promotion pie, which is what it is, like when it comes to promotions and all that stuff, there's a certain allocation and the most influential group is usually the one that gets a bigger piece of the pie. And now we're introducing metrics that can honestly benefit developers because it shows that this group is outperforming this group, or if this person leaves, this is the impact for the entire company. And this is something that without metrics, you just sort of have to assume or, or take the person who's telling you this with like as being the authoritative source. But if we can remove all that variable, I think developers would be all on board of this because they want to have a proper career growth and metrics should be their ally as opposed to something that is normally used to measure them and maybe mislead their efforts. I think if we can do that at a developer level to show the value that they create, maybe there is a way to bubble that up into the value that open source communities as a whole create, because that is one of the things that we are working on in the value working group is how do we show the value that open source communities create? What is the value of a specific software project? And there are so many different angles. Of course, you need someone to sell it. And I'm sure in the context of promotions, there is a different way you would sell it than if you were talking about, should we discontinue this project and move on to a different project? Yeah, honestly, like I've always said in money talks and when it's all over, and this all boils back to... The open source community is very much led by developers. It's not led by business people. So they don't quite have the, I would say, forethought to properly sell themselves. But if I was an open source, I would definitely try to make it very obvious that if I don't exist, this is what's going to cost you as a company to develop this. And imagine me not being here. And that's where I honestly think a lot of these open source projects are not doing well. A lot of them just take stars and set that as currencies. When I say stars, I mean GitHub stars. They sort of just take that and it's like, that's good enough for me. And then hopefully I'll get a few patrons here and there. But it's a very delicate balance because it's a global market now. And you stepping out of the ring could easily, somebody else might see as this as their springboard into a career opportunity. So they fill the void for free and so forth. And I won't go as far as say that there needs to be a union. But there needs to be like some better way to quantify costs that should this project not exist? Because like, I don't think you guys are doing that chaos right now, are you? Like, are you attaching a, like a monetary value to software? We have not done this as a chaos project. I know we have some metrics around costs where the idea is 
were ranging from using the Kokomo metric that is based on just lines of code. And if we average that, how much does it cost to write a line of code today? But as you said earlier, we would need a time machine for these really good metrics because the code base evolves over time. And so other things we've talked about is not just looking at lines of code, but also issues being opened and responded to in communities and pull requests and how much effort is going into everything that is happening in an open source community. Can we attach a dollar value to such activities? Then we can say, hey, this community has this much value created. There's a lot of uh, nuance that goes into that. And we haven't really landed on anything that I would be able to promote right now. I totally understand because like I said, you made a very good point, which is using line of codes and all that stuff. It's very hard to say. And then also the next question I ask, is this a senior person, a junior person, et cetera? So there's so many variables that people want to pull codes through and saying, but maybe thinking money is the wrong approach. It's maybe thinking, there's two things I, I've always find works. Selling money talks and risk is the other one. You sell risk because nobody wants to be in a position of even losing anything. So maybe I, I guess it's how interconnected, honestly. It's like there's there's certain projects, you know, for like the Linux kernel. If that dies, like we are all gonna be in very big trouble. That's why Google and others are spending all the Intel and Huawei and all they're spending a lot of money. But it's, can this other open source project that maybe not as well known? Can they have a risk associated with it? And set, or not, what's I would call it risk. I would say a connected factor. Like how many people are using this? And this is honestly where I think, especially with chaos and its reach, should really shame large organizations. If you're using open source, go out of your way to advertise what is being used. I think maybe Google and others probably do well enough in there, but I would honestly like to see Maybe even the GPL license evolve a bit more, saying that if you do use it, you should be required to, at least on your website, have like an open source page that this company proudly uses these open source projects. And like, it's not asking for the war for them, but it will make a world of difference for that person who, person or persons or teams, or whomever is working on those open source projects to make claim that, yeah, like this is why it's valuable. Until we get there right now, there's just so many hidden data. and. This is sort of the problem we've created, I think, out of goodwill. With the whole open source idea was that I think maybe part of naivety, I think it's just part of passion. I think developers just like creating things. And unfortunately, you have companies, very large companies, just, just sort of taking advantage of these things and not really providing a downstream improvements. And so, yeah, so I, I agree that money thing is probably not the right thing. But I think what we can do, though, is create a connections graph. And it'll be, it'll be awesome if, you, if chaos can maybe champion that idea of that open source has become critical for an organization to succeed. I use it a lot in my own project. And I honestly would love to be proud to say that we should be required to have an about HTML, like about page on every website that you produce that says, this is how open source is contributing to this, to this platform or this that you're using. I'm not sure that's ever been discussed before. I have three comments here of work where I know it's happening and then we have to wrap up. One is, I know in the Drupal community, there was an idea that companies that contribute to Drupal built their own page where they can highlight, here is the work that we're doing for the Drupal community. And that sounds similar to your idea of saying, 
we as a company are relying on these open source technologies. And I really want to highlight the sustain us as community here where these conversations are happening for how can we change the current practices around you know how how companies are engaging with open source and how can we make it more sustainable another thing that you'd mentioned is this connectedness graph and really showing the dependencies between open source projects but then also enterprise software that is built on top of open source software. And in the chaos risk working group, there is a lot of effort over the last year has gone into how do we build out such a dependency graph? And there are a lot of nuances and I recommend going to the risk working group because they've started to lay a really solid foundation so that we can build on on, on that to actually get some metrics and build those graphs. So yeah, those are the things that just came to mind. Unfortunately, we are coming up to the end of our episode. So Terrence, you have a lot of great ideas and maybe people who are listening to this want to connect with you. Where can they find you online? So best way to do it is just go to Chaos's website, when you listen to this podcast, you should find my current contact information there. And that's honestly the best way to reach out to me because I do want to share more about metrics and how it can be used. I would say fairly. I, I don't want to say good or bad. I think we just need an equitable, fair way of measuring things. And that's what we should strive for. I think you'll have a lot of friends in the Chaos community with that goal. So let's move on to the last segment of our podcast value adds, where we share something that has brought value, meaning, or joy into our life. You can start. I've been using Duolingo, the app for learning languages, and I have an unbroken streak now of over one month. So I'm pretty proud of that. And I'm learning Spanish right now. I also use a book and a podcast and another app. So trying to learn Spanish right now. That is super cool. So Duncan, my 10-year-old, uses Duolingo and I always will see he's gone on and he's doing Japanese or he's doing these different languages. So that is super cool, Georg. I'd love to hear that. I should connect with him, become friends so we can compare our progress. Yes, you definitely should. Yeah, that'd be awesome. So I am about two days away from a fantastic benefit in my day job, which is a sabbatical from Intel. And so I've been doing a bunch of research for a travel this summer. But in addition to that, Duncan plays baseball. So this year, I have really taken to the game of baseball. One of the movies that we have watched together is A League of Their Own and really had a good time watching that. So I'm Looking forward to spending time with my 10-year-old this summer. And that movie was just, in some ways we laughed, in some ways we cried, but it was a really good movie. So we enjoyed that together. Man, that's great, actually. And I'll be honest with the, the people listening to this. Like, I was sort of given this question ahead of time, and it, it really did make me pause and think about this because right now I'm, I'm sort of doing a lot of things on the business side of things, and it's very preoccupying. So... I don't get a lot of opportunity. I say experience things that brings me joy. <laughs> it's not that there's negative around me. It's just that I don't have a lot of time. And what I honestly do find joyful and, and brings happiness is 
talking to others that honestly just want to do good and honestly to provide new insights because sort of the thing I'd live by is I want to be in a room with other smarter people than me because it means I'm learning from them. And ideally, that's sort of what I try to take away from this is just try to talk to as many people as possible because you learn new things. But unfortunately, I, I can't compare with the, uh, yours. Like what is brought joy for yours? Mine is pretty simple. It's just talk and then learn new things and hopefully for me to share what I've learned. And we thank you for sharing a lot of the insights you have from GitSense and from your experience so far. So thank you for joining us today, Terrence. I'm glad to be here. And honestly, like I said, if, if you guys feel you want to make bounce some ideas off me in the future of how chaos is moving towards these metrics, I'd love to be able to contribute because when it's over, like I said, I use a lot of open source in my own thing. And I don't think it's me personally in this small startup that should be really driving this. It should honestly be these billion dollar companies now that should really be investing heavily and ensuring that it is a very healthy ecosystem and not just maybe not the most advertised because when it's all over, like it's that one little small seed that's required that can really sprout into that next Linux. And we need to we need that kind of funding and we need that kind of advertising and we need that mindset. So I would definitely want to help in any way possible to help chaos. I guess, promote open source. Well, thank you. And thank you, Nicole, for being a panelist today. Thank you, Georg. So great to be here. And really, Terrence, I've learned so much from you and what you're doing in GitSense and have really enjoyed hearing about your developer-first philosophy in developing metrics. It's really learned a lot. So thank you for being here. You're welcome. And thank you, dear listener, for joining us today. To stay up to date on future episodes, subscribe for free to this podcast on your favorite podcast app. Share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. And if you have ideas for future episode topics or would even like to come on as a guest, please email us podcast at chaos.community. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Until next time, your chaos community.